Again, we've been in a sermon series entitled The Life We Long For. Would you give a warm welcome to our lead pastor, Chris, as he continues us in that sermon series. Good morning, Hope Astoria. So glad that we get to start our week off together in worship, gathered around God's word. I'm so glad that you're joining in if you're a guest with us. Thank you for taking the time to be with us. You're finding us in the middle of a sermon series titled The Life We Long For. And we've been exploring this tension between the lives that we actually live versus the lives that our hearts tell us are possible, the things that we desire, the, the potentials that are unfulfilled. And we've been exploring that tension as we look at the life of Jesus. If you weren't with us the last weeks, I encourage you to go to our website and hear the previous sermons because you're going to hear kind of the journey that we've been on where we've taken a turn and we are looking at this idea of discipleship, this idea that as we not only believe the words of Jesus, but we actually imitate his life as well, how he actually lived, his rhythms, his practices, his intentional approach to life, and we merge our belief in Jesus with those things, that the way he lived, then it allows us to actually live the life that we long for. And so today we're continuing that series and we're going to dive into some incredible portions of scripture. We're going to read from Genesis chapter 2, verse 1 to 3. It says this, Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Malachi chapter 4 verse 5 says this, See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. Matthew 11 verse 11 to 14 Jesus says, truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence and violent people have been raiding it. Verse 13, for all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. Would you join me in prayer? Lord Jesus, we ask that you'd meet us this morning as we gather around your word. Would we have a fresh encounter with you? Holy Spirit, would you glorify Jesus? Reveal him in a powerful way in our hearts, wherever we find ourselves. And Father, may we grow in love and affection and obedience to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I recall, uh, I believe it was summer of 2001. It was right before 9-11. I was on a mission trip to Spain and we spent some time in Madrid. Uh, it was like one very long day in Madrid and Madrid was quite the city. I actually felt very much like Manhattan. It was fast paced, busy. And so I wasn't like too impressed. I didn't feel like I was actually in Spain. I felt like I was just in a section of Manhattan, but then we went to Valencia and Valencia was a bit more laid back. A big city, but it had its pockets that were very, very just slow. And I'll never forget, I think I've shared this story at different times. There was a guy, 
just an everyday guy. He was walking through the streets of Valencia and looking at him walk gave me the most anxiety I've ever felt because he was walking so slow. It was the slowest walk ever. Everything in me wanted to rush up next to him and say, dude, don't you got somewhere to go? You know, like move faster. He was just taking his time. And as I looked at him and was experiencing all this, it just made me reflect as to how hurried we're accustomed to living life in places like New York. We're busy and we're busy while we're being busy. The fast paced, frenetic state of our souls is constant. We're living these hurried lives all the time. And one of the hallmarks of living a rushed life is that our lives are always feeling full and overflowing and it's accompanied with a nagging sense of emptiness because we end up overlooking and missing important things. How many times when you're in a rush, you have that moment where you're like, ah, forgot my keys. Or you're rushing out, you forgot your wallet. Or in the middle of doing something, you forget that appointment. When we're living in a rush state, we have this just constant anxiety. And, we're li- and, and also this rushed, hurried state is often drenched with worry. We're worrying about so many things constantly. We worry about our parents, our family, our relationships, our children, our environment, careers, businesses, politics, our health. Life doesn't seem to fit in within the hours that we have. That's our state. Yet contrast that to what we see in scripture and we find a different picture. Number one, we see from the very first moments in scripture that God is not in a rush. We we understand the first verses we read in Genesis It tells us that all of creation, all of everything we experience was created by God in six days. And on the seventh day, God rested. Now think about that. Why would God take six days to create everything when he could have created it in one? Forget one. He could have created it in a minute. God was not limited. He didn't need the time in order to kind of regather his strength and be able to do the job the next day. He didn't need to sleep in between days and kind of get some coffee the next day before he was up for the task of creating on the second day. No, but he was not in a rush. All that we see was not created in any sense of a rush. And on top of that, after he creates everything, he rests. This is a totally different picture than the one that we live and the one that we're surrounded by. Constant hurry and rush. God is not in a rush. But the other thing to point out is that between the last words in the book of Malachi, chapter 4, verse 5, these are the last words of the entire prophetic book of Malachi, where it's foretelling of a messenger that would come before Jesus someone that would announce, in in essence, the coming of the Messiah and prepare the way for God's people to receive the Messiah. And Malachi calls this prophet that would come, he calls him Elijah. it's, It's almost like the second coming of Elijah. This prophet would come in the same spirit of Elijah that would call God's people to a place of repentance. And then fast forward in Matthew 11, Jesus says that John the Baptist 
was this Elijah that Malachi talked about, that John the Baptist was the messenger that was sent to prepare the way. Do you know how many years existed between Malachi's words and John the Baptist's arrival? 400 years. It's what's known as the intertestamental period between the Old Testament and the New Testament, complete silence, no prophetic voices from after Malachi till John the Baptist arrives. God is not in a rush, not when he's creating the world or even when he's trying to redeem it and make it new. We're in a rush, but God is not. And specifically, when we go through the pages of the New Testament, we discover very specifically that Jesus, God the Son, was never in a rush. And that is striking to grab hold of because in our day and age, the more powerful you are, the more successful you are, the more people know you, the more of a big deal you are, your life is typically associated with being always on the go. Uh, never downtime. Your time is more valuable than other people. Um, you know, it, it's. I knew of a guy who told me that he he knew someone in the city that never rode a train. Could you imagine? They lived in the city for about 15 years and they never once rode in a train. Why? They were able to get a personal driver, and this personal driver would take them everywhere. And I was I was like offended. I was like, that's such ridiculous expense what that's you don't have to do that train yeah it's not always comfortable but who is this person I was like yo what's the reason why why does he not he doesn't want to be around common people I, I was a little you know touched by it and he said quite simply he's like no if he's down on the ground he can't be on his phone and that means he may not be able to make a business transaction and so for him that time is money. It's too valuable, the time, for him to be inaccessible. That's kind of how our society lives. If you're, if you're powerful, if you have a name, status, you can't waste any time. And so you'll take a helicopter ride while everybody else will take a drive. You'll, you'll get on uh, you know, express jet planes while everybody else will fly you know, regular timing. Yet Jesus, the most important human being that ever has existed, or ever will exist, was never in a rush. He was never hurried. I think that's saying something that we have to grab hold of. I think it was C.S. Lewis that commented on this, just this tension of busyness. He talked about how if he would go to a doctor, and if the doctor's office was full with lots of patients, he would say, that doctor's important. That doctor has something good going on because look at all the busyness. But if you went to a doctor's office and there wasn't a lot of people, say, ah, this doctor must not be crushing it. Or if you see someone that has a very busy schedule, it's just like, oh, they must be important. They must be in demand. But someone who doesn't have a lot on their plate, then are they really trying? And what he talked about was that busyness often is our way of ascribing self-importance to ourselves. The more busier I am, the more important I must be. And so therefore we try to live all these hurried lives because to not have something to do might mean that we're not that big of a deal. There's all these things pushing us to live hurried lives, but in contrast to that, we see the God of the scriptures 
not creating in a hurried manner everything that we see, taking his time six days, carefully, slowly, creating everything we experience in this life. And we see the Son of God before he even comes on the scene, 400 years before the prophesying of his arrival and his arrival. 400 years. God is never in a rush. Jesus is never in a rush, which calls us to ask the question, if he never was in a rush, then how did he approach time? How did he think of time? The eternal God who stepped into his own creation, took on the form of a vulnerable baby, entered into our world, and now for the first time, the creator is existing within his creation. The God who exists outside of time is now experiencing time the way you and I do. It would behoove us to find out how did he approach time? The one who created time, how did he manage it, use it, look at it? When we search into that, we discover some really important things because when it comes to time, you can either do three things. You can either waste time, you can spend time, or you can invest time. And Jesus does some interesting things with his time. First off, Jesus was intentional with his time and the way he carried time in his soul was different than the way you and I tend to carry it. For one, Jesus, he tells us to not worry. This is important. Look at what Jesus says. Matthew 6, 25 says this, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Verse 27, can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? See, Jesus, the way he approached time, he didn't approach time in such a way that caused him to spend his waking moments worrying about things. He didn't worry about the present and he didn't worry about the future. That's in steep contrast to us. And that so often, that's where we spend a lot of our waking moments, worrying. We approach time in this worry-filled manner, not Jesus. The other thing that's of note is that Jesus spent time with the Father daily. Every single day of his earthly existence, from as far as we can tell, from the multiple accounts in the Gospels, he prioritized time with the Father, which speaks of his priorities, his non-negotiables. That's very different from the ways that you and I tend to approach time in that busyness or being hurried often tells us what we can or can't do. So if you're too busy, then it means you have to eliminate certain things. If you're very hurried, then you're not going to get to certain things. For Jesus... He was getting to his priorities no matter what. His days were going to be filled with the things that they were going to be filled with no matter what. And then everything else would flow from those priorities. And so Jesus was never too busy to pray because prayer was his daily priority. Jesus was never in a rush because he was always intentional as, as to how he was going to live out his day. The activity of life didn't determine how he lived his day. His priorities determined it. Very different than the way you and I tend to approach it. Jesus was intentional about cultivating relationships. 
And if there's a price tag that you and I have paid for living busy, hurried lives, it's been the price tag of relationships. How often do we go long periods of time without connecting with the people that we love, taking for granted relationships that we shouldn't, not being connected with loved ones, just assuming that that time will come down the road, if it ever does. So our relationships often are the ones that pay the heaviest price for this nonstop frenetic pace of life that has no margin and that pushes us to the brink of exhaustion. Yet Jesus lived completely different. His life was marked by deep relationships, intentional relationships that he cultivated every single day. What does that invite us to consider? For one, it invites us to consider the heavy cost that hurry is calling us to pay. I want to pose this question. What is hurry costing you? What is living a hurried life calling you to pay? It's a heavy price tag, but what is it specifically calling you to pay? For one, living a hurried life is costing all of us to skim on our health, our relationships, and most importantly, our relationship with God. Living a hurried life has affected all of us in that one of the greatest struggles of our modern times is that we struggle to be present. We struggle to be fully present in every moment. We're unbelievably distracted and divided. If we're with people, our minds are somewhere else. Our devices can draw our attention to so many different directions. We're so distracted. It's placing a heavy cost on our souls, our relationships, on our health. You know, it, I was recently on social media, and I want to quote one of our very own, Farrah Cogdell. If you are part of Hope Astoria and you have kids in our church, you know what a gift she's been, and she's been leading just discipleship with our kids and, our, and just such a blessing with our families. And she said something that really struck me. So Farah, I'm quoting you because you're a big deal and we love you. This is what she said. I've noticed that it's hard to do things with a right motive when you're tired. Man, that is some profound wisdom. And one of the costs that we're paying by living this constant hurried life is that we're so tired. And in that state of weariness and, and being drained, how difficult it is to love, to love people from the right place, to serve, to bless, to be patient with one another. You know, when my kids, if I'm well rested, I find supernatural quantities of grace and patience with them. But if I'm not rested, oh my gosh, the slightest provocation has me at my limits. Rest is such a crucial thing, but we're not resting as much as we need because we're living in a constant state of hurry. We're pumping our bodies with caffeine and, and, and processed foods and all these things just to kind of keep us hopped up, to just keep this hurried state going. And we're paying a very high cost. And the high cost doesn't just touch our relationships, our pace of life. It touches the very core of us because it has a huge impact on our life with God. 
Yeah, I remember years ago, there was a big change in, in my family's life in that ministry went from being like very intense, like typically like 80 to 90 hours a week. And then we began to put some boundaries, began to practice regular Sabbath, take vacations every year. And, and it was a big change in that now I found myself in a culture and a setting that I was explicitly told when I came to Hope Astoria, I was explicitly told by Drew, um, who planted Hope Astoria. Some of you may not know him at this point, but he planted it in 2012. Um, he was like, hey, here, you're not going to be rewarded for working till you die, for killing yourself and taking no rest. Here we value Sabbath and rest and taking care of yourself. And so he would challenge me, when are you going on vacation this year? What's your Sabbath day? And when we began to practice that, and now it's been a few years of intentionally practicing that, but I remember the first year I saw a striking difference in my marriage in that arguments that used to take weeks to resolve were now taking a couple hours. Why? because we actually had the couple hours to talk it through. Why some of these arguments took weeks, there was not even any time to actually have difficult conversations and to process it. We'd like have an argument, go to sleep, next day continue it, next, you know, maybe forget about it, then continue it. it we were so exhausted, we couldn't even be present for an argument. Like, think about that. That's how exhausted and, and hurried our lives were. We didn't even have time to argue well. But now, when we had this pace that was less hurried and more intentional, to create margin and rest, we were actually able to be present to each other. And for the first time in a long time, I was able to hear my wife and she was able to hear me. And conflicts that would take a long time, now we had the space to resolve things quickly and effectively, all because we changed the pace of our life. Why I share that is because I know for some of us, we can carry such deep guilt over the state of our walk with God. Some of us can feel like, man, I don't pray enough and, and I don't read the Bible enough and I don't seek Jesus enough and, and I'm, I'm slacking all these things and there can be all this shame and all this condemnation. Can I tell you that it's not because you're just such a bad person and you're, not, you're a bad Christian and you can't figure this out. There's a good chance is that you're just too hurried. You, you can try to muster all the self-will that you can and, and try to say tomorrow's gonna be a, be a better day and New Year's Eve, next year is going to be my year. We could try to do all those things, but at the end of the day, some of our biggest obstacles to living a life that's truly centered in Jesus and fully present to others is this question of hurry. If we're going to live a hurried life, we won't be present to Jesus and we won't be present to others. So, what are some signs that you may be living a hurried life? Because some of you may be like, oh, that's good. You know, I, I, I agree with that. And some of you may be thinking, man, I hope so-and-so hears this sermon because they're definitely living a hurried life. But chances are you may be living a hurried life and you may not be aware of it. So I'm going to give you this list of 10 symptoms of hurry sickness. It's from this author, John Mark Comer. He wrote an exceptional book called uh, Elimination of Hurried Life or something like that. I butchered the title, but whatever. Google it. John Mark Comer. You'll be fine. So these are the 10 symptoms of hurry sickness. Number one, irritability. 
If we're constantly irritable, if the slightest provocations can set us off, there's a good chance that we're living a hurried life. Hypersensitivity. We're all sensitive. And we're all susceptible to things triggering us. But when we are in a state where even the smallest things trigger us, then there's a good chance that we may be at the limit, beyond the limit of our capacity to carry life at the pace that we're carrying it. Restlessness. If it's difficult for you to relax, for you to log off, for you to turn off your phone, for you to disengage, for you to do nothing, to be unproductive in order to be present, then maybe it's because you're suffering from hurry sickness. Fourth sign, workaholism or just nonstop activity. If you're constantly working, like constantly, overdrive, there's a good chance that you are at a pace of hurry that's really toxic and you need to address it. We all tend to work a lot in New York City. That's just a given, but there's a limit. There's a certain point that many of us go beyond that point and that puts us in this dangerous state. Emotional numbness, number five. If you find yourself just emotionally incapable of connecting with people, of feeling pain, feeling joy, feeling what people are feeling or feeling what you should be feeling, there's a good chance that hurry is at work. Out of order priorities, that's number six. If, if what we put first should really be second or third or, or what we put third ends up being first, there's a good chance that hurry is at work. Lack of care for your body. When we're hurried, we don't take time to be intentional about what we eat, how we diet, how we rest. And as a result, that just perpetuates the constant state of hurry. Number eight, escapist behaviors. This is a big one. Escapist behaviors could be binge watching, um, Netflix and streaming. Escapist behaviors could be overeating, over drinking. Escapist behaviors could be fantasies, pornography. It could be all sorts of things that just we engage with in order to escape from the present pace of things. The other, the other number nine is slippage of spiritual disciplines. If every one of us can find ourselves in a state where maybe we didn't pray as many times as we should have this past week or as many times as we intended to, but now it's gone beyond a week. Now it's a month or two or three or maybe, man, it's been a year since I cracked open my Bible or I used to actively serve and now it, it's, I, I don't remember the last time where I was together with other Christians serving God and serving others. If there is a slippage of that and, and we're not actively practicing spiritual disciplines of celebration, of silence, of Sabbath, of serving, of prayer, of study, then hurry might be at work. And last but not least, isolation. When we are slipping toward isolation, a lot of times hurry is at work because since we're so hurried all the time, hurry pushes us away from community. It disconnects us from others. And so isolation is kind of the last stop on that train where after being frenetic all this period of time, the last thing we end up is just isolated, disconnected. I'm hoping if you're talking with God during this time and you're opening your heart and you're going from, 
I wish someone was watching this sermon. This person needs it to actually, maybe God is talking to me. I'm wondering if some of these things are kind of pinging in your heart. You're saying, oh man, I, I do find myself really irritable or just been so restless. Man, my, my spiritual disciplines have been slipping. If some, of, If one or several of these things begin to kind of register, maybe this is a sign that you need to pause for a moment and realize I've been living a hurried life. And if I intend to be truly centered in Jesus, I'm not going to be able to do that if I'm living from a hurried place. In order to be with Jesus, sometimes the first thing we have to do is slow down. Pause. And so if you find yourself in this state of like, I think God's talking to me. I think I need to really pay attention. If I want to live the life I long for and I want to imitate Jesus, I'm seeing some things about Jesus that are causing me to really reevaluate my pace of life, my commitments, my priorities. And if that's the case, I want to propose to you the way forward. The way forward is actually found in a passage we spent time with just a few weeks ago. This passage is in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 to 30. Jesus says this, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If some of these things are registering for you and you're realizing, I think I'm, I am living a hurried life and I, couldn't even, I, I never made this connection before. This is probably the biggest reason why I'm not centered in Jesus and why I'm numb to people and what's going on in my soul. If you hear this invitation from Jesus, what Jesus is saying is the first step forward is come to him. If you say, yes, I'm hurried, I'm living that hurried life, the first thing you and I should do is come to Jesus. And as we bring our whole lives to Jesus, weary, hurried and all, he gives us rest. Jesus alone has the power to pause the locomotive of a hurried life, a life that feels like it can never stop and it's just going 100 miles an hour. Jesus is powerful enough to pause that, to slow that down, to give us rest. But the first thing we have to do is come to him. And here's something that I need you to be prepared for. As I've engaged in trying to unhurry my life, I wasn't prepared for the detox that would come. When you're living a fast-paced, hurried life, when you actually try to unhurry your life, unbusy your life, there's a crash sometimes that comes where you've been living off of adrenaline for so long, when you actually stop and cease to do, your body comes down and sometimes that crash is pretty hard. Prepare to detox, prepare to go through kind of withdrawals where for a couple of days and weeks, you're going to miss the frenetic pace. You're going to feel another form of restlessness. To rest, ironically, takes work. It takes some effort to actually rest. It takes some effort to unhurry. But after we go through the detox, after we go through that phase, when rest begins to sink in, it's powerful the benefits, the fruit, the joy that comes. 
If you're living a hurried life, chances are you have not felt joy in a long time. You probably have felt happiness, but happiness is fleeting. It comes and goes with circumstances. But when we're living an unhurried life, we can be fully present to God. And when we're present to God, joy is possible. If I can motivate you to unhurry your life and to come to Jesus and receive the rest, I hope the prize of joy is a good motivation. Jesus is inviting you to rest so that you might experience joy that only he can give. I want to encourage you as we close is to together with God and with trusted friends, our church community, your small group, begin to identify what your priorities need to be in order to live this unhurried life. Jesus had these priorities he lived with. What are your priorities that God is calling you to order and structure your life around? Because I found this to be true. If you don't have a plan for your life, someone will impose their plan on yours. And if you don't have a plan to live an unhurried life, then you, someone will put a plan on your life to make it as hurried as possible. And so let's be intentional, let's be prayerful, let's be in conversation as together we seek to grow in this unhurried life that Jesus modeled for us. With that, I wanna invite us to pray. Lord Jesus, I ask that you would meet us even right now in this uncomfortable, difficult space of admitting that our lives are out of sync, that our lives are lived at a pace that's unhealthy, that causes us to be distracted and disconnected from you and others. But Jesus, on the other side of this honest confession, there is hope for rest, there is hope for joy as we come to you and receive rest. God, I pray we would live a life that's very different than the life of most New Yorkers in a city that's fast-paced, that never sleeps. May we live unhurried lives that mark to the world that we live by a different drum. Lord, I thank you for what you're inviting us into as a community. In Jesus' name, amen.